I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism here in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of podcasts. Woohoo! <laughs> that is your weekly woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, so, we're not doctors, we're herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everybody's body is different, so the things we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will hopefully give you some information to think about and research more. We want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is in fact always yours. So that's what we say every week, uh, and we like to start our podcast off that way, just so everyone's clear about what we're up to. And so, what we're not up to. Exactly. But we thought that this week it would be a good idea to maybe expand on that a little, break it out some, and say a little bit more about it so that you really understand why we think that matters, why we say it every single time. <laughs> yeah. So the first part is that we're not doctors, and we're, you know we're not practicing medicine And that's not just legal hair splitting. So we do practice the caring for people, um, but there's so many ways to do that. What we have is a system that is totally different than the current Western conventional medical system. Even though that system did evolve out of traditional practices, they're really very different. And I will say that our... our uh, preferred tendency here <laughs> when we're on point and thinking about it is to refer to uh, what people usually call modern medicine or Western medicine. We like the term conventional medicine a bit better. Um, or, or mainstream, we say sometimes. Sure. Um, in part because uh, it's not just in the West anymore, um, <laughs> if that construct even is meaningful right now. Um, and uh, occasionally somebody will come and talk to us and be like, Oh wow! You know that's uh, they'll maybe uh, see a parallel or uh, a difference or something, and um, refer to what we call conventional medicine as traditional medicine, and we're like, no, 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 <laughs> that's not quite it at all. Just because everybody's doing it right now doesn't mean that it's traditional. Yeah. It's conventional and it's mainstream and it's common. Right. Um, Another term you'll hear some folks use is uh, allopathic. <clears throat> Um, and that distinction is sometimes helpful, but, um, uh, the real kind of dichotomy there is sort of between allopathic versus homeopathic. Um, if you were to dig into the language and the history, and since we don't really practice homeopathy, we don't usually like to use the term allopathic, um, cause it kind of sets up that, uh, that divide. So, um, or occasionally you'll hear the term scientific medicine and that one drives me utterly bonkers. Mm. I just up a wall because that implies that humans didn't have science until we invented microscopes and that's totally not true we've had science since we humans are humans are two things we are art and we are science (laughs) we we try things we experiment if they work then we build on them if they don't work then we say hmm i wonder what went wrong here (laughs) and we look at the world and we say, huh, you know what I bet would work? And then we try it. And if it works, we say, who? Cool. I want to try that again. And then we tell our friends and they try it. And that that is science. So I don't like 
thinking about his you know, people through history as like just the dumb, uncivilized people who hadn't discovered science yet. They didn't have microscopes, but they knew a huge amount about the body and the way the world works. And just because some people through history didn't, or they had mythologies that either were backwards or um, seem to be backwards because we don't have that same perspective today, that doesn't mean that they didn't understand the natural world. That they weren't thinking about it in a really um, systematic kind of way. Yeah. So when we talk about conventional medicine, um, although once upon a time, back in its history, it evolved uh, or developed out of traditional practices and concepts, um, the way it shows up now is very reductionist uh, in its philosophy of, of the world and its philosophy of, of healing and therapy. So reductionism basically means trying to, uh, trying to minimize complexity in your model and in your... Um, uh, your ideas around what's at cause of a particular problem. Um, reductionism is what drives people to try to find the one thing wrong in the body and usually to then go after it with a silver bullet kind of approach that's going to go in and correct that. And this is where you get, um, you get things like, oh, I don't know, uh, Alzheimer's disease is due to an accumulation of beta amyloid plaques in the brain. And if only we could find something that will, you know, dissolve beta amyloid or prevent it from building up in the first place, then we will have solved Alzheimer's. Um, a lot of times this is implicit in the way that medical conditions are defined. Um, for instance, uh, it's not the fashion anymore, <laughs> but it, for a long time the idea was that we can determine a lot about the state of the health of your heart and your cardiovascular system by looking at this number called your cholesterol, uh, your cholesterol level. And then later that kind of got expanded a bit and it was, oh, well, you've got good cholesterol and bad cholesterol and HDL and LDL and this and that. But it was very much this, this idea that we can reduce things down to one number or a few numbers and we can set some standards and say, if you're below this number, you're good, thumbs up, gold star. If you're above that number, you're bad, you know, you know let's give you some... Uh, take, take you to the office or the woodshed or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, so. You know, and they're still doing that. It's just that they're getting more and more refined and more like looking at it in a smaller and smaller way, which reflects more and more understanding, but is still going at it from that same philosophy of, oh, we see, we didn't exactly have the one right thing, and now we're more specific and more precise. Yeah. But again, there's that search for a silver bullet, and it's like, oh, well, cholesterol too high means people are bad? Okay, let's give them statin drugs, and that will knock that number down. Great, we win. Except we don't really win, because that's, <laughs> you know, um, again, that's not addressing the, the whole person or the whole picture. So sometimes uh, this kind of approach is very helpful. Sometimes this is just what you need. But uh, it's not... Especially, like, maybe in the, in the situation of... Um, a really bad pneumonia or tuberculosis or you guys, Elsie is just rolling around on the floor like a crazy dog. And uh, so if you hear all the snuffing and rolling in the background, it's yeah. <laughs> Elsie. But, but if you have like a, a, a really serious pneumonia or tuberculosis or something like that, then yeah, you probably need an antibiotic. And that's a really targeted um, 
kind of situation and and that's a great time when you you should probably go do that yeah or you know say you had um you had eaten a death cap mushroom and we need a silver bullet solution and it turns out there's one that's derived from an herb mm-hmm. so from milk thistle you can get this thing called silymarin and that's a uh, very effective antidote for that particular kind of problem so you know sometimes you do have a silver bullet and sometimes that's really great but uh, the sort of conventional approach is to try to identify one of those for every single problem that people come across and um, whether or not that's a great approach is maybe a person debate but at the very least it's not what we do so herbalists and, you know, not all herbalists are the same, but broadly speaking, most of the herbalists that we talk to, most of the herbalists we correspond with online or, you know, other ways, um, they're very interested in looking at the whole system uh, simultaneously, or as much of it as we can hold in our tiny little human minds as possible. <laughs> um, and so this is basically the idea behind the word holism, right? Trying to see the whole picture. <laughs> In general, we're instead of looking for like that one thing that's wrong, we're looking for um, like a whole pattern. We're looking to try to see the patterns of imbalance and weakness in a person's whole life, not just in their you know cholesterol levels or whatever, but like in every aspect of their life. And we want to strengthen the body so that they can deal with that. And just because there is some imbalance or some weakness. Um, doesn't mean that that's, you know, that you're a bad person or whatever. We all have imbalance and weakness in areas. Um, so, so we're just looking for how do we, how do we look at your whole life and help you become a stronger human so that you can deal with whatever's going to come up in your day. So you, you might think of these two systems, um, maybe like a chiropractor versus a spine surgeon. So they're working with the same anatomy, but they're doing it in drastically different ways. And the work that they're doing is not the same kind of work. And they're, you know, one is not trying to do the work of the other. They, you might need one or both, one or the other or both of those types of practice. But... Um, but they're not in any way the same if you look at them. Or maybe a less medical example might be um, a plumber versus a kitchen designer, right? If you are designing a new kitchen, you probably don't want your plumber to come in and design your kitchen in an ergonomic and aesthetically pleasing way. And you also don't want your kitchen designer to try to upgrade your plumbing from the old lead pipes that you have in your old New England home um, to like new PVC or copper piping, both of these two people, both of these two practitioners are working in the kitchen, but you can't really mistake the two. They're going at, they're, they're addressing different issues They're um, and the issues that they're addressing are, they're doing it in different ways. The kitchen designer may still be addressing, you know, issues around water and plumbing and stuff like that but what they're doing is talking looking at the sink and what kind of sink do you need and how is it going to fit your life and i don't know they're different things that's what i'm trying to say yeah maybe you've got a better example no i like that one actually you know um and they're both trying to improve your quality of life in one way or another like have you ever had one of those sinks where you just 
it's like it's either like really freezing cold or super boiling hot, and you have to like just tap it super gently on the one side to try to get it to that that perfect point where you can wash the dishes without scalding your hands. <laughs> <laughs> so like. <laughs> Uh, that's helpful, right? That's improving your quality of life, and you know you can you can ha- you can get some help from somebody who knows a lot about all of the different kinds of sinks, and that's great. But they might not know a whole lot about like why your pipes keep getting backed up, or you know what to do when you live in a house in New England in the winter and prevent them from freezing or whatever else, you know. So different disciplines, but still working for you to feel happier and more comfortable in your home. So you know that's true. Uh, in the house you live in. It's also true about the body you live in. Sometimes you need one, sometimes you need the other, sometimes you need both. So, okay. Um, So with that out of the way, when we say we're not doctors, there's another really important aspect to talk about here, and this has to do with licensure and also about the the kind of legal definition of the practice of medicine. Um, So about licensure... um, It's good to keep in mind that we only license things that are dangerous, like uh, driving a car or performing surgery. And (laughs) I I like to use those two examples because usually that gives us a moment of pause, like, wait, wait, one of those I do every day and the other one I would never even consider that I could be involved in. (laughs) Uh, But these are are both pretty dangerous uh, habits or pastimes Mm. or ways to entertain yourself and others. Um, (laughs) So these are things that that we license. Um, there are a lot of practices that can improve someone's health or their experience of being in the world, their quality of life, that don't require licensure because they're not dangerous. Uh, and herbalism is for sure one of those. Now, when we talk about this aspect, we like to remind ourselves and you that um, this isn't a game of whoever kills the fewest people wins. <laughs> um, and so that's not kind of the point we're trying to get across here, but if it were then the herbalist would be winning because, you know, um, uh, if you look at it and if you search for cases of people being harmed by herbs or um, even to a greater degree by practitioners, it's very difficult to find them. Now, occasionally you'll come across a case or two that pretty much devolve down to practicing medicine without a license. That's the the kind of charge that would be brought against somebody. Um, I was just reading about uh, uh, another example of this on one of the, the, I think it was the AHG's Facebook group or something. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, it usually comes down to some practitioner has told somebody, oh, don't bother with Western medicine or conventional medicine. Don't, don't go get chemo. Don't do this or that. We're going we're gonna to cure your cancer. We're going to fix your problem with our, with our methods. And that's going to get you into trouble. Um, not, not just legal trouble either. In this particular case you're talking about, this was a, an herbalist who said, hey, you shouldn't bother taking insulin. I can fix your diabetes with herbs. And that's nonsense. And so there's... That was a type 1 case even more Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we can suggest that can help somebody with diabetes live a stronger, healthier life. But those things are not in any way a substitute for insulin. If you need insulin, you need insulin. There's no one who can tell you oh, you can just stop doing that. And and that's that's part of why we're happy that we're not licensed. And I'm kind of going to the end of the discussion and skipping over the middle with that sentence. So we'll get to that in a minute. But no herbalist should ever be saying basically anything about any pharmaceuticals other than, oh, 
given that pharmaceutical, I won't work with these herbs because there could be an interaction or, hey, if you're going to work with this herb, then you need to make sure to talk to your doctor so that we're both on the same page and we're watching to make sure that there's no interaction. Mm. Or, or to say, oh, you're reporting um, really significant dry mouth symptoms and it coincided with going on that particular drug and, you know, I notice here in my research that that drug has a side effect of dry mouth. So maybe, uh, you know, I can give you some marshmallow root to put in your water that's going to help make you more comfortable, but it's not going to fix the problem. Maybe you can tell your doctor about this symptom and they can decide if there's a more appropriate drug for you that won't have that side effect. I can't make that decision. I can't, I don't have that kind of training and I also don't, that's not what I do. But I can say, oh, this seems like a time that you should go talk to your doctor about that. Yeah. So that kind of advice based on our understanding of of pharmaceuticals and and their interactions and so on. Occasionally people will ask if, you know, we can help them to transition away from a drug or this or that. And usually we'll we'll open it up and say like, well, we should do this and consult with your pharmacist or doctor, you know, other people so we can have a solid plan in place. Here's some things that you would expect if you were to do that. Here's some kind of ways that herbs might help you through that. But that's that's a kind of a more intricate conversation. But um, it's at any rate not something that an herbalist would do. That's not an herbalist job. It would only be that an herbalist is working in coordination with your doctor to help support your body and your comfort while your doctor is helping you come off of a pharmaceutical because that's that that would be crossing that line of, of practicing medicine. Right. So, you know, we, we keep referring to this, the idea of, of practicing medicine without a license or, or the, the definition of, of what to practice medicine means. And so this, it turns out, it varies uh, state by state. Um, it's not defined on the, the federal level, but on the state level. So um, we live here in Massachusetts, and I'm going to read you out the definition of the practice of medicine um, in our state. So it goes like this. The practice of medicine means the following conduct. The purpose, or reasonably foreseeable effect of which, is to encourage the reliance of another person upon an individual's knowledge or skill in the maintenance of human health by the prevention, alleviation, or cure of disease, and involving, or reasonably thought to involve, an assumption of responsibility for the other person's physical or mental well-being, uh, and then they go on to define some, uh, or to list some terms that would, would uh, fit that definition. So, diagnosis, treatment, use of instruments or other devices, or the prescribing, administering, dispensing, or distributing of drugs for the relief of diseases or adverse physical or mental conditions. Um, and then it goes on to note that... A person who holds himself or herself out to the public as a physician or surgeon or with the initials MD or DO in connection with his or her name and who also assumes responsibility for another person's physical or mental well-being is engaged in the practice of medicine. So I know that's like a long, long thing, but there's a few things to really kind of call out there. Did you want to? I just, wow, just that just makes my head spin on so many levels and we're going to tease through it all but but that's I mean I feel like that's something that should be on the wall of every doctor's office like this is the service I'm providing I'm assuming responsibility for your well-being and then you can decide if you actually want someone to do that 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah, a couple of key phrases there that we're going to come back to. So one is uh, to encourage the reliance of another person upon an individual's knowledge or skill. Um, another one is that assumption of responsibility for their person's physical or mental well-being. And then um, a couple of key terms that you see in there, prevention, alleviation, cure, diagnosis, prescription, um, diseases, you know. So some of these terms um, or words that are used in there, you don't want to just skip by them. You want to recognize that uh, part of what this definition is doing is saying these are restricted terms. They can only be used by people who are... Uh, licensed to engage in this practice of medicine. So that has some consequences for us um, as practitioners, and you may have um, seen on, a, on an herbal tincture you buy or, or a supplement product uh, a disclaimer like, this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The FDA has not evaluated the claims, you know, blah, 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 that whole thing. <laughs> um, so that is kind of standard boilerplate, um, and... Again, what that speaks to is is that it's a, a way to state clearly that this supplement or this herb or whatever um, is not to be regarded as medicine in this sort of legalistic sense. Okay, so... Uh, yeah. So one of the key things that we come by here is that, you know, we're, we're doing a different thing from, from that, <laughs> from that, that idea of practicing medicine. Uh, and we're doing it in a quite different way. So we don't want anybody to be reliant upon our knowledge <laughs> or skill. No. In fact, I love to tell people you should never believe anything I say, right? I don't want that kind of authority over somebody else's life. That's really disempowering, in my, in my opinion and in my system. So, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I can motivate I can be a cheerleader or a problem solver or a project planner. When I talk to people about what I think is going on and I come up with some strategies for them to strengthen their body to address it, that's like a starting point. We, and by we I mean the client and I together, we don't know if it's right until they try it. So if I say, hmm, yes, well, these sorts of things have helped other clients or even myself in the past... That's really only a suggestion. I want the people that I work with to decide for themselves if it sounds like a good idea, which means does it resonate with their own experience and does it seem to apply to their situation? And then when they try that, I want them to decide for themselves if it works and if it's a good idea. And if it's not, if it doesn't say yes to any of those questions, then we try something different. But that idea that I can somehow tell you what's in your body and what's right for your body, I don't, I don't think that anyone can do that. I, I do think that I can educate about a lot of things, and I don't think that it's everyone's responsibility to have every piece of knowledge in the world at their fingertips. But So it's totally appropriate to like be like, huh, something doesn't feel right in my body. I'm going to go get some education about that and then decide what I should do. But that's the kind of approach that I want. In this culture, most of the time, people go to the doctor so that the doctor will tell you what's wrong with you. And then the doctor will have you on some kind of solution for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to set up a situation where people expect me to tell them what's wrong with their bodies. I want to work with someone together 
to find um, an imbalance or a point of weakness or something in their life that is not helping them to build a strong body and help them to resolve that issue in the way that's right for them, which might not be the way that was right for the person I saw on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I like to, uh, to say it this way, that I don't want any of my clients to leave our session and go home and say, uh, I don't know, my herbalist told me to take two cups of this and call them in the morning. You know, I want them to say, uh, well, you know, I described what was going on for me and my herbalist and I talked about it and uh, he had this, this idea about what might be going on there and had a plan for how to resolve that or some herbs to work with that are going to help to change the conditions inside. And these are the herbs in my formula and this is what they're all doing. I'd prefer it if you know, maybe not to a granular level, but I'd love it if, if the clients go away and have some idea, uh, some, some theory or some concept about what's going on for them and how they're going to work to resolve that. Um, I don't want anybody to just sort of say, I don't know, they gave this to me and said it would help. You know, and I guess, like, as you're saying it, it I'm just like, oh, yeah. And, and part of it is that if... If a person doesn't understand what's going on in their body and they don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, then they're not going to be making the whole systemic life changes that are required. You know, if you, if you let's say, um, you have your hand in a bucket of bleach for a couple hours and you take your hand out and it's all red and irritated and the skin is damaged, well... That's bad. And I can say, oh, well, you know, calendula is an herb that can help restore integrity to the tissues of the skin and help build new skin cells to heal over the ones that are damaged. So that could be a really great thing to apply. But if I don't under if I don't explain exactly what's going on and if together the client and I don't have a really clear picture of how that happened, then the client's going to go home and stick their hand in bleach again. And we won't have fixed the problem. So it's not just take this herb and it'll fix all your problems. It's also about the choices that you make in a day and understanding that maybe you don't want those Oreos right now. Mm. Or maybe you do, but if so, then maybe also this other thing that's going to help make up for it, like a pile of broccoli and a gut heel tea or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, so the other thing that we wanted to to bring up there is that part about prevention, alleviation, or cure of disease. That part's also really important. Again, because first off, the definition of diseases, those are technical terms and they are part of the jargon of conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. And I can work with a person with no knowledge of their medical diagnosis. Um... I don't, I'm, I'm completely outside of that system. And that's, that comes down to the system that the herbal world uses called energetics. And that is a word that sounds a little weird because it's an old word. And if we use a word like that today, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same kind of feeling that it had a couple hundred years ago. But what it just basically means is, is there too much heat going on in this body or in this location of the body? Or is there too much cold? Is there too much dampness or too much dryness? Is there too much tension or too much laxity? And um, you can 
not find every single thing. I can't use that system to tell you exactly what bacteria is, you know, whatever. But my system of, of health doesn't require to know exactly what bacteria it is. It requires to say, oh, yes, there's a lot of crud going on in your lungs right now. And I can help your body be strong enough to get that out of you and expectorate it very effectively. Now, in, there might be some situations where that isn't enough and you want a medical situation so that you can figure out exactly which bacteria that is and take the appropriate antibiotic and all that stuff. And that's awesome. But I don't do that. that that's a different system. At any rate, what we're looking at is how do we help people build strong selves? And I say self there because I don't want to separate the body and the mind and the emotional body and the spiritual body. And the word self is like the whole kit and caboodle. So how do we help people build themselves to be strong so that they can get through whatever comes up in a day, whether that is some kind of you know, sickness, some kind of inflammation, or some kind of piece of pizza, whatever it happens to be that comes up in their day, an injury, how can we make them as strong as possible so that they're going to be able to handle it the best way possible? Hmm. Uh, in some ways, the, the, many times people will come in and they'll have a, a diagnosis and they'll be looking for, you know, our herbal treatment for fill-in-the-blank diagnosis, right? Um, you know, in our area of the country, very often people will come in and say, I've got Lyme disease, I want to have an herbal, uh, an herbal Lyme protocol. You know, uh, maybe they've read a book about that or maybe they've heard about it and they want us to give them some herbs to, to cope with that. And usually what that shows up as is, do you have some herbs that can kill the Lyme? Because I've been trying and I've been taking these antibiotics and I'm not satisfied with how that's going, so I wanted to try herbs to basically to do the same thing that I had already been trying to do. So um, I want to be clear that we're not going to write that off entirely and just kind of disregard that information. We're going to take it as a, a, as a point of information, as a data point. And that's going to go into our, uh, our consideration about what we think might be going on for this person and how we're going to approach it. But it's not the only thing we're going to look at. You know, sometimes you'll get the impression from, you know, reading books or blog articles or whatever that uh, herbalists have a Lyme protocol. And this is, <laughs> this is what we do. These are the herbs we use. We do it in this order. It's on this schedule. You know, it could be very intricate and complicated and, um, and all that. But it's still basically, oh, you have Lyme? We, we do these things. It's um, like a multiple choice test. Right, right. So... There are some practitioners that like to go at it that way, um, and we've tried that in the past and weren't particularly impressed, actually, with how that turned out. <laughs> um, we've also seen some negative side effects uh, in cases where people have sort of, I don't know about blindly, but, but just straight up followed an approach like that you know, to the letter um, without recognizing that there's a large degree of individual variation in the way that that progresses and the way the body responds to the herbs and you know lots of other factors that are going to play in there. So um, when we are faced with a situation like that, we're going to take that as a point of information, but we're going to want to know a lot more. We're going to need a lot more information about this individual than just what they've been diagnosed with or what's turned up on this or that lab test. <clears throat> um, and so there are many more questions we're going to ask and other things we're going to consider, but 
uh, I don't want you to get the impression that we're just writing that off entirely or ignoring it. It's going to be part of what we consider, but it's not the end of it. Okay. Yeah. And in the end, anyway, to say I want you to treat my Lyme disease, you know, that's just that sentence is anathema to what we're doing because I don't treat Lyme disease. I work with people. And I work with people to help them be strong and healthy. And if Lyme disease is part of that person, then that's part of what I'm going to work with. But I'm not going to treat the Lyme. Hmm. I'm going to work with the person. And the Lyme is sort of like just one of many details. Like also you have brown hair and um, dry skin. And and also you only sleep five hours a night. And also you're... Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You uh, work really hard and you eat fast food because you don't have time to cook your food. And yeah. yeah. So when you say you feel fatigued and you have joint pain and brain fog, then I'm not going to jump to the conclusion that all of that is coming from a spirochete eating your brain. Right. We think there's going to be some other elements involved. Okay. So, you know, so because of all this stuff coming together, this is why we, we say at the top of each podcast that (laughs) good health is your responsibility. And, um, sometimes that feels a little intimidating to people, you know, whether that's a client or a student, um, especially if people have a more, you know, complex or longstanding health problem, sometimes that can feel like either a judgment, like, oh, you wouldn't have gotten sick if only you knew all the right stuff and, and whatever. Yeah. Or it can feel like, holy crap, now I have an enormous mountain of work to do to learn how to take care of myself and to, to learn everything about this problem I'm dealing with and, and all of that. So sometimes that can be a bit intimidating. But when we hear that or when we say that, we really consider it or mean it to be encouraging, to be liberating. And it might mean that you do have a mountain of stuff to learn. And you might be tired, and that might be difficult right now. And that's okay, because, you know, your herbalist is going to help you learn that stuff. They're going to break it down and help you understand, like, hmm, how did we get here? And how do we get out of it? And it, the cool thing is that if you do learn that stuff, then you won't just end up right back here again. Um, I like to give the example of... Uh, you know, let's say that you just moved into a new apartment and you're going to put pictures up on the wall and you just can't find nails because, I don't know, they're still packed or something. They're somewhere. But you've got a screw and you've got a hammer and you're like, you want to know what? It's pointy. It's going to work. It'll be fine. And then your roommate comes in and is like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Because I did that once and I got this giant hole in the drywall and it was a pain in the butt and I had to, I had to patch it and it was awful. And if if somebody can tell you that, then, oh, well, I guess I better not do that. And if somebody doesn't tell you that because they they just weren't around and you do put that screw in the drywall with a hammer and now there's a big hole in your drywall and you have to patch it and it's a big pain in the butt, well, that's great too because now you have that information and you can go back afterwards and be like, hmm, so what did I do wrong here and what do I not want to do again in the future? And in my little example here, that's really simplistic. But when we're looking at the whole body and a whole life and the habits that you have in your life, okay, that's a little bit more complicated. So, so yeah, there's a lot to learn, but you don't have to learn it alone. We're here as a team. And that idea of being mentally present and thinking really critically about the suggestions that we give is really important because you're the only one in your body. 
you're really the only one who knows how it feels in there and what's going on. You might not know all of the details about what that means, but you're the only one who knows what's in there. Yeah, and one of the ways I've been talking about this um, in the last year or so to our our more advanced students who are going to go into clinical practice is to try to explain to them that the majority of the work that you're doing during the intake or the, the consultation is to try to understand what it's like to live in this person's body and, and in their and in their day. So, you know, uh, I think I might have said on the podcast before, or I say this a lot in class, that one of the single most important things I learned to ask clients after a couple of years of, <laughs> of being a consulting herbalist was, uh, what's your what's your daily schedule? What's your work schedule? What are your commitments? Uh, things that are immovable as blocks of time in, in your day or in your week. Um, because that really helps me to understand how much, I don't know about free time, but how much movable time the person has to devote to doing things like learning how to cook a whole bunch of new food or changing a bunch of habits or, you know, uh, putting in space for an exercise program or whatever else, things that I might want to recommend. And I definitely know that in my first few years of practice, I gave people enormous, beautiful, intricate, comprehensive (laughs) protocols that would have been super amazing and solved all their problems, but also would have required them to have, you know, 46 hours in any given day (laughs) on top of their, their job and their kids and their everything else, right? So that really helped me a ton because it was a way to put myself into their life, to, to, uh, to imagine myself living the way they live, and then to sort of look around in that, in that uh, image and to say, all right, where is their time? Where is their space? What is attainable here? Um, and that, that made a big difference in, you know, I, I feel like the, the results that we were getting. So on the, on the client side, or if you're somebody who's thinking about you know, working with an herbalist or working with herbs to, to try to, um, you know, change something or improve something about your health. Um, you know, again, we come back to this idea that you're the only one who really knows how it feels. You have all of the detail, all of the information about, about what it's like to live in the world, uh, as you. So no one else can, can, uh, can obtain all of that for you, right? Um, it's always going to be a bit imperfect in that translation. And that's why we really want each person to be engaged for themselves. That part is just, it's really critical for us. Also, you know, no matter what system we practice, every practitioner is really just making up theories when we suggest things. Again, because we're not in your body. So we're looking at the situation, we're thinking about that based on what we know and what we've seen in other in other bodies, and we come up with a theory, and now we got to test it. We have to determine which of which of those things was the right theory and which is not. And that's again, it's true no matter what modality you're working with. We we look at the situation, we come up with a theory, we say, "All right, this is what I think," and then we try it. But the person trying it is you. It's your body. You're the person trying it. And if it doesn't feel right. Then you say, whoa, no, that, that one didn't feel right. Let's try again. Let's try something different. Hmm. So if I don't have a license on my wall, then there's nothing to tell you that you shouldn't be skeptical. You should be skeptical. And in my opinion, you should be skeptical of any practitioner, no matter what they practice. And by that, I mean the healthy kind of skeptical, like the critical thinking kind of skeptical. 
Because that's what keeps you engaged in your own care. That's what keeps you present through what's going on. And that's what helps you remember that you are the only one in your body. And if it's not feeling right, then then it's within your right and also within your responsibility and absolutely within your power to speak up for yourself and say, hey, wait, no, that wasn't it. Hmm. And I think it's the responsibility of the practitioner to hear that and say, oh, okay, well, let's try the next thing. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, and again, that goes back to that idea that uh, we don't want people to say my herbalist has me on these herbs, right? We want them to say, I'm I'm working with this herb now. I'm giving this a try to see what what turns out. It's a bit different. Yeah. We think the difference is really critical. So it really just comes down to helping you make good choices to keep your body healthy from day to day, to keep you strong so that you can get through a day. And speaking of that, because this is an herbal podcast, um, I wanted to give a shout out to a few of my favorite friends in that arena. Yeah. So lately I've been really loving a tea that is Tulsi, Goji, Nettle, calendula and ginger and it's sort of a ready for anything kind of formula so tulsi um, gives you some pep and is sort of a mental uplifting plant Uh, it's not caffeinated it just it just gives you a little pep and definitely helps to get through stress it has some beneficial effects on the endocrine system and and really i think Real specific ones, just on the emotional system. That's not a system, but I just made it a system. (laughs) (laughs) And goji berries are a good nourishing adaptogen that can support, among other things, good cardiovascular health. And that's really important because if you keep the blood flowing to it, then then you're keeping the food flowing to it and the oxygen flowing to it and all that good stuff. Yeah, goji are one of those kind of restorative, uh, like you say, nourishing adaptogens rather than an outright stimulant such as ginseng or high doses of eleuthero or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, And then uh, nettle in here. Nettle is our super vitamin, super herb. And uh, if it's a day that you didn't have time for vegetables, nettle totally has you covered. And when I say that, you should eat vegetables, you should eat them every day. And you can't just have only nettle and no other vegetables because you do need all those. Mm. But, um, you know, there are some days that get away from you and nettle will keep you going. It's got so many vitamins and so many minerals and... All that chlorophyll. All that chlorophyll, vitamin green. So that's really important. And then calendula is really soothing to the digestive tract. And that can help you handle any questionable food choices that you might have made today. Um, And really help with the inflammation that comes from that and any damage in the intestinal lining. Because calendula is a vulnerary and it stimulates the proliferation of healthy new cells. So that's really good. And then ginger is antispasmodic and really helps release physical and mental tension. And... um, You know, I work with ginger as much as a stress-relieving plant as anything else. Um, And I really, I really have come to see it that way, even though that's not like you can't look in a book and find like ginger under stress reduction anywhere. But it's that antispasmodic action is so effective in my body. 
um, for just letting me release that tension. And then that helps me to like, oh, now my blood's flowing. Plus, ginger does get your blood flowing. So again, if you've got blood going to it, then you're going to be much healthier. And also ginger is a really good systemic anti-inflammatory just for the daily wear and tear. I mean, inflammation is just part of daily life. It's, it's not a disease state. It's just the way that you respond to certain things in your day and certain things in your environment. And throughout all of history, you know, uh, no matter what plants we study, we keep finding that they're anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. And that's, I think, a huge part of how people managed inflammation throughout history. Not a disease state inflammation, but it doesn't need to, like, just your regular old daily inflammation. So, ginger. Mm-hmm. And you can toss equal parts of each herb into a quart-sized mason jar or a French press. So, like, you know, I don't know, a tablespoon of each one, something like that. And steep it for four to eight hours. And frankly, we just like to set it up right before we go to bed and have it ready for the next day. So then in the morning, you just toss it in a water bottle, drink it all day long for the nourishment and the support, keep you going. And like... Just that alone, it, it goes so far to just getting you through your day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's a sample formula. Uh, there's lots of other kind of ways to put some safe, gentle, you know, um, nutritive herbs together into a blend like that. And this is one of those things that we'll often um, look at for people who come in and Maybe they don't have a whole lot of free time in their day. Maybe they don't have a lot of extra energy to devote to overhauling their whole diet and, you know, walking six miles every day and all of these other recommendations we might like to make. Um, In many cases, uh, we look at an herbal formula like that as a first step, as a way to build up some resources in the person. And then they're going to come back in a couple weeks or a month and maybe feel a little bit freer, a little bit more comfortable in their guts, a little bit more you know, settled in their mind, and now they're able to take on some things that are a little bit more complex or a little bit more difficult or challenging. Um, and so, you know, we we went through the whole idea of how we're trying to see the whole picture and try to work on lots of parts of the person simultaneously. Um, but I want to just swing back around and say that sometimes we do indeed give people a cup of tea, <laughs> send them on their way, and... Uh, it's always with that idea that this is going to continue to evolve, right? We're not saying that this tea is going to cure or solve or treat or diagnose any of your problems. Uh, just that it's going to build up some strength, some reserve, some resilience, and that's going to make it more attainable for you to get and dig into those other parts of our our compass of health. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So thanks for bearing with us for a little bit of philosophy today. <laughs> hope that was uh, interesting to you. If you have any questions around this or if there's any points of clarification you'd like, feel free to uh, leave us a comment uh, or give us an email. Um, you can always contact us right through our website at commonwealthherbs.com. Um, let's see. A couple other housekeeping items here at the end. Uh, we do have a book coming out. We do. Um, in To be released in May. I, the, I think the release date is May 15th. Mm-hmm. It's been sort of moving, you know, because those things move from time to time. But the last date that I heard was May 15th. Yeah. So that's going to be Herbal Medicine for Beginners. And the pre-order page is going to be up on Amazon, I believe, on the 26th. And we'll keep you posted on that. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing the final version and 
Eventually, they'll give us a cover image. We've been waiting for that. It's I like think one we'll, of the I last think we'll have it on the 26th. <laughs> I'm very so. excited for it. The book is so pretty. We have the proofs, and um, the the photography is beautiful. And I'm, I'm I'm really excited with how it came out. Yeah, just the whole thing. So we're pretty we're pretty hyped about that one. Um, our long term classes for the year are rolling on. Uh, so, you know, if you Wanted to join us, you're going to have to wait till next time uh, <laughs> here in the city. But uh, don't forget that we do have online classes available. Um, those are, I guess you call it rolling admission. It's basically start whenever you want and progress at your own pace. Um, so we've got a Materia Medica course that's, uh, you know, pretty well fleshed out there. And the medicine making course is developing now. So we'll continue to work on those and put some others together and get them ready. Um, but uh, do check that out. You can, again, just go straight to our website and See what we've got going on there. Uh, and and I guess it's time for you to head out for free clinic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going to go over there and see what people need. Cool. All right, well, we'll talk to you again next week.